0: welcome to battleground wisconsin this is robert craig executive director of citizen action of wisconsin uh, and now welcome to a volatile winter wisconsin where we can see 50 degree changes in temperature which is what is uh, expected from global warming this is not unexpected and for us fact-based people uh in the progressive movement uh this should not be a surprise the other folks are finding new lies to explain all this uh so we have a very special Battleground Wisconsin. You hear me talking because Matt is on the road at a People's Action Rural Organizing Retreat because we do rural organizing, urban organizing, and everything in between. Uh, so our host is not here, but we have a special treat for you. So it occurred to me that you have never heard, you've heard his name often from our producer. And I know that you often hear the producers say, or the musical accompaniment, and it started with Paul Schaefer and David Letterman on Late Night, and you do hear it in a lot of radio. And so we're going to have Brian Woolridge, our producer, all this time back to 2011, and he's the one who provides the product that actually you enjoy if you're a regular listener. So Brian's behind, the, he's a more of a behind-the-scenes guy, but he is He's worked here for quite a long time and cares about the mission, and he's very tuned in on politics. He just likes to be the guy who makes everything happen rather than the front person. That's his personality. So we're going to hear from Brian, but let let me first welcome Brian. Brian, I'm sure everyone's going to be glad to hear your voice for the first time, I believe, in the history of the program.
1: Thanks, Robert, for the intro. It's good to be here.
0: So... I'm going to tell before you launch in, you're going to question me. That's what we're going to do in this podcast. Before I say that, I'm going to tell a funny story uh, about radio and producers. Um, I'm a regular on The Earl Ingram Show, uh, the morning show, uh, one of the morning shows on Civic Media Radio Network, which is all over Wisconsin now, buying up stations. And so this was the radio era where you could and it was like about probably a year ago, where you couldn't see the producer. In fact, I didn't even know there was a producer. The producer didn't call before and say, hey, and you're connected. It just went straight into the station feed. And then I next thing I heard it was Earl when we were past the news break. And so didn't know there was a producer, didn't know what their voice was. And I forgot what it was, Brian, but a caller said something outrageous, a right-wing caller. And rather, my approach is not to immediately condemn them, but to try to give them an olive branch and see if I can get them to step down from the heinous thing they just said. So I asked them a clarifying question, and the caller didn't take the olive branch and leaned in. And all of a sudden, I hear a woman's voice, Earl and I are both men, saying, "'Answer his question! Why won't you answer his question?' (laughs) And this confused Earl greatly, and I was like, uh, who's the fourth voice in addition to Earl, myself, and the caller? And it threw Earl off, too. But, uh, of course, the caller provided no satisfaction and didn't even seem to notice that there was some surprise voice uh, responding (laughs) to him and demanding he answer the question Robert just asked him. So, anyway, that's about the most unexpected producer intervention I've ever gone through. Right.
1: Well, that's what the producers do. They're always in the background behind the curtain listening.
0: Yeah, and in that case, I'm sure she doesn't usually do that. She was so appalled she forgot what her role was and just started intervening, right? I'm sure she's never, probably never done that before. Even though she's not Earl's regular producer, that's a guy named Calvin, so uh. I had an opportunity to ask her if it was Calvin. I could ask Calvin, what would, what would happen there when you unscripted suddenly intervened in the middle of the discussion <laughs> with a caller? Anyway... I think, Brian, you want to start on there's more there's there's always plenty of state news, but there's a massive dump of federal news, uh, national news this last week. So we're going to start there. And some of it affects, you know, a lot of it affects the future democracy very fundamentally.
1: All right. Well, hey, before we start there in Trump world, uh, I think we want to talk a little bit about the 40th anniversary.
0: OK, good, good cue. So our 40th anniversary celebrations Start March 11th in Milwaukee at the Enlightened Brewery in the evening, and that week we'll have one in La Crosse, another one in Green Bay the following week. So two the first week, mar- week of March 11th. Then there'll be two in April, um, one in um, Wausau and one in Eau Claire. So you can get all of that information, and we are and we really love to see you there because we are trying to get mem- uh, turnout from our members, people who like us or relate to us, our broader kind of, you know, audience and and coalition partners and colleagues in the fight, and to get momentum for 2024 and to try to take advantage of 40 years of social justice organizing and what it can teach us and how it can inspire us uh, in order to do what we need to do now, not only to restore democracy, but to make it achieve its fundamental promise, which is actually address our major problems, not just be democratic in process, but democratic in a responsive government that speaks, that meets the needs of the country and the people. I'm going to tell one, I've done a lot of historical research, which is very, it's hard with my day job, but it um, gives me a broader perspective to think strategically about where we are, Brian oh yeah uh, one thing i want to i'll tell you tidbit we've been doing this every week is just the kind of the, the, the the divisions and who was a player um in the progressive movement and organized labor when we were founded in the early 80s was dramatically different it was a very different world uh you still had much more labor power, much bigger. You had a huge public employee union presence and a huge manufacturing union. We were a manufacturing state and there were huge manufacturing unions that have that are tiny now compared to, to them. So there was more labor power. But the other weird thing about that was that there was no relationship really between the unions and their power and all of the different parts of the left, the community groups, the women's movement, the civil rights movement etc. And so they had divided power. And we were created by the progressive wing of the labor movement to create that alignment because they felt embattled already. Reagan had just taken power. There was an onslaught against working people. The air traffic controllers had been union busted by Reagan. You know, complete reversal. We were now head president that was trying to overturn uh, what we had been gained for working people since the New Deal. And in fact, and so Citizen Action was the group that was going to bring together all these issues, be multi-issue, and create a durable coalition. It was, and it was the most progressive, large unions. It was driven by the machinist union that is a shadow of itself. Now, because of the deliberate deindustrialization and global trade agreements and outsourcing, the UAW that was much larger at that time and asked me which was huge until Act 10, and now has been greatly diminished. So the power is less, but the whole setup was less. And it would work on elections, which was a radical thing. Uh, So we were a radical idea of unifying the progressive left and working on a lot more issues together and actually winning power through elections. And you see all those themes now in our work. They have not disappeared in the least, even though, the role of labor is less, in part because labor was such a big player, it had so much power and resources and members. But we need to rebuild that. So in a way, labor was using its power to build progressive organizations. They were stronger, and not the other pro- the other progressive causes and movements. Now we need to rebuild labor in order to have power, because there's less labor power than there was now. So we need to return the favor and citizen action. Is absolutely the right organization to do that, given our history and our founding, and that we're premised and that that's often a divide still. The environmental movement is pretty detached except for us from the labor movement in general, just for example, and they're not we're aligned with both of them, so we continue that tradition
1: yeah, I'm really looking forward to March eleventh I think it's going to be a great evening uh, socializing and reconnecting with the, our progressive friends from the community so Come on down, people. Get the uh, info
0: off our website, off the email, and sign up. That's great, Brian. You see, Brian, Brian can do this. Just, <laughs> we just had to create a uh, this space. I know it would be hard to get a word in edgewise with Matt and I the way we are. So uh, there isn't a lot of extra space or air. So I, I own that and get that. Why don't we go? We enough about us as they say. Yeah, Brian, right. So Why don't we go to the world?
1: And, All right. Um, well. The news is, is that uh, the Supreme Court, um, they got a big shipment of tennis shoes in from the Trump people, and now they've decided to take up this immunity case. So what's going on here with this, Robert?
0: Well, that's a tie-in, Brian, I've not (laughs) thought about. And as we're going to talk about... uh, Oh,
1: I I do have to interrupt here. Uh, Those tennis shoes aren't available until June and there's no refunds. So you have to pay now. But sorry, there are no refunds. They're not
0: especially good, but they're expensive and they're gold and they show fealty (laughs) to the orange wannabe dictator. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But we're going to talk about the elections later. But I'll just say we can hold the thought. Well, after we can discuss, I I hadn't thought of doing this, uh, whether the tennis shoes. Or whatever kind of shoes they are, basketball or tennis, <laughs> um, are you know the the Trumps like Michael Jordan. You just think of it right Man. away, right? Um, Air, Air Trump this is going to peel off a lot of the black vote, and the other reasons Trump uh. think they can peel off the black vote bizarre reasons, but we can wait to the election time for that. But your question is about a corrupted clearly in the evidence supreme court i'm not sure they're corrupted by the shoes but they're corrupted nonetheless <laughs> by trips and yachts and private planes there uh, go. and the like so what they came up with this week is we've been waiting it's waited and waited uh what they're going to do on this uh, this immunity case we got to take a quick break this is battleground wisconsin podcast Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. And this immunity case, I think you all know, but just to refresh your memory, the president thinks—the uh, former president, excuse me—I hope he's never the president again—and uh, the wannabe dictator. I guess he won't be president; he'll be—he'll be, he'll be Führer or dictator or El Duce or something. Um, so that he thinks that he is a, immune to prosecution. For any criminal prosecution in perpetuity even when he no longer holds the office and that he has and that therefore the uh federal law it, it, this this relates directly to the insurrection case but it would apply equally to other cases and so i will say most legal observers and the problem with legal observers is they look at the law they look at precedent they look at the Constitution. They look, but by precedent, has anyone ever said otherwise? And mm-hmm. they all conclude, my God, the country, you look at the the, the both the, what the Constitution says, but also what the intent was of the framers that the right says are godlike figures that apparently were, were inspired by evangelical right-wing Christians to hear them talk about it as a mm-hmm. bird. Um, that it was the opposite. They were terrified of another king and they specifically made the president not above the law. but And what happened in the process is the federal case was paused at the district court level that was moving along quickly because they made this absurd claim. And then there were oral arguments in front of the federal appeals court, the step between uh, that this district court and the Supreme Court. And it was a three-judge panel, bipartisan, They found out, one of them asked, and they were told in the oral arguments that, yes, the president could order SEALs Team 6 to assassinate his political rivals, and he'd still be immune from prosecution later. That was said in the oral arguments. So they wrote a takedown, bipartisan opinion. All the Supreme Court had to do was simply agree with that and not take the case and let let the insurrection case continue. They waited two weeks. And now they've taken the case, Brian. And furthermore, they didn't have to stay the other case, so it wouldn't prevent the possibility of having a a verdict before the election day, so voters uh, could decide. No, they stayed the case. They stayed the case as well. So that is where we are. This is a shocking development. And I like what Ely Mustel, the, uh, the the legal uh, writer for The Nation magazine, says. He says people need to wake up. This isn't a court. These aren't judges. These are Republican politicians and they're looking for a way to help Republicans no matter what. And we need to get serious and Democrats need to be serious about taking this on and ch- and using the checks and balances we have in our system. This is now Robert talking. I'm sure Estelle mm-hmm. would agree uh, that the legislative executive branch have and the exec- uh, and refuse to use, but are in the Constitution.
1: I know that you are a academic-minded person and you like history like I do, if we look back like the Nixon and Reagan and all the different crimes that those people committed, does any of this play into this discussion?
0: It was, I believe, a majority Nixon-appointed court that found that he was liable for prosecution. He had to turn over the secret tapes which nailed him on Watergate and courts have been very solid it was they were very solid in that situation, okay, and they held firm Republican and democrat judges and even to the credit of most Trump judges, they held firm on the insurrection claims during the election. the craze Rudy Giuliani and the other cast mm-hmm. of character you know fake legal appeals and uh, arguments but look at this we now have a u.s supreme court not only did it have its thumb on the scales and move in a very political way as far as timing um, for uh, roe versus wade and then totally reverse precedent i could name others but those are two mm-hmm. and now really what you see that is shocking is they fast track the 14th amendment one because it disadvantages trump And Illinois became the third state this week to bar Trump from the ballot based on the clear wording and clear intent of the 14th Amendment. And in the oral arguments, it certainly sounded like all the strict constructionist judges, which is no surprise to me, weren't strict constructionists at all when it wasn't to their benefit, because this is easy if you're actually looking at what the intent of the 14th Amendment, Article 3, was. So they moved that quickly. They're probably going to throw it out very quickly based on the oral argument. And this one, they move very slowly on, and now they've delayed the whole process. It really does seem like that these are political choices, not legal choices, because the Fourteenth Amendment uh, thing is real and is a legitimate legal argument. They're basically saying that they're not going to they're going to nullify part of the Constitution because they find it inconvenient. It is supposed to be self-enforceable. In other words, state. Uh, state people in states are supposed to be deciding who's eligible or not. Just like they have the power to decide something obvious, such as are you old enough to run for office, given the criterion? Do you actually live in a district? This is then just another ballot qualification, and the Supreme Court does not try to figure out, oh, are they really twenty-one and not and not thirty-five running for president, right? But this is considered inconvenient, so the intent and the strict construction doesn't matter. But then on immunity, which is absurd by, this, by the by whole history of the Constitution, what it actually says and the intent, where we're trying to avoid and prevent kings, and they were terrified of another king coming in and remain terrified much of their mm-hmm. lives before uh, the, the original generation, uh, now they're going to do something totally counterfactual. So this is a shocking development, and it's very much in contrast to the judiciary, which moved quickly on Nixon, didn't get rid of, didn't get in the way of the investigation, and and ruled decisively on the rule of law.
1: Well, tie this into the uh, D.A. Willis situation going on in Georgia. What's the latest on that?
0: Well, interesting you should ask about Georgia, Brian. That's the one case this doesn't apply to it. state law. Okay. And, and state courts. So he, this immunity claim most likely, but God, I mean, as far as we know, as far as we know, this is a bogus immunity claim in the first place. So who knows what new law this, the Supreme court has made itself a super legislative body and it, and a constitution amending body. Cause this is how the constitution is, be, is, is being amended. It's being amended unofficially by right-wing partisans that, we've allowed them to pack the court with. And we'll mention Mitch McConnell's role in that when we get to his uh, retirement this week. And so that makes the Georgia case more important. But the Georgia case, if you have endless lawyers and money, and you know, you, he's using other people's money, we know, campaign contributions, Trump is. Yeah. Yes. Now they're harassing the um, prosecutor, Fonnie Willis, and digging into her personal life with no evidence that that she, that that she even got any financial benefit from her relationship with this uh, lead prosecutor nor that uh, any let alone that it influenced her there's no no there's no nothing there but they uh, they she's but they've been allowed to interrogate and humiliate her um, and it, and we don't know. This Georgia judge might disqualify her, which might end the case. So we don't even know the status of the Georgia case until that mess is cleaned up. And for average people, you couldn't afford all the legal billable hours to do this. Right. It just shows that very wealthy people or people who have access to money don't face justice. And that is something I don't hear Democrats talking about fixing the court system so we don't have such an un, a differential, unequal version of justice. Because Trump seems unprosecutable in this court system and the the average just give an example a an african-american teenager who's accused of something is actually has an incentive because of the poor representation to plea bargain to something they didn't even commit because they might be convicted of something they didn't commit, and that happens all the time in mass incarceration so that's not any equal justice intended in the constitutional amendments in the founding of this country
1: Right and and just to, to dial that down uh, there is no line that they will not cross they will get into their personal business they will get into your you know your your mom's business it doesn't matter if they can embarrass you or some, somehow sidetrack the uh, conversation for these legal chases that they do
0: it's mccarthyistic tact it, right and back in the day it would have been we think you're gay you were in this restroom exactly and, uh, by the way, by gay, and that meant, meant that you were outside of polite society and would be drummed out of anything. You right. were seen in this bathroom that is a known gay hangout, like no one else ever goes into this bathroom, like it's any of their business. That is, this, this is very much like that.
1: And most of the time being totally hypocritical, right? Because half of them all have these personal histories of, of problems and issues of their own. But that's just called life and being human. But uh, they want to roll that out in front of everybody.
0: So let me land this in terms of the stakes maybe they'll rule right on immunity it's all a matter of what their 5 votes for and 6 of the votes are right wing ideologues okay uh so maybe they'll do the right thing but if they delay the trial before the election then they are essentially frustrating justice and speedy you know a fair trial a speedy trial is supposed to be essential justice delayed is justice denied is the cliche And they have an obligation to move more quickly and not get in the way of this case with a bogus charge. So they could find a way to do this. And by the way, it only requires five of them not to let the case proceed, four to take the case. So there's a fifth. It's not just the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they call the four worst ones. There's a fifth that want to stay the case. Um, So that's, and we don't even know anything else. We don't even know where the liberal justices are because this is an unsigned opinion. Taking it and scheduling hearing April 21st, which is not fast. So there are other scenarios, but that's number one. And number two, if they declare president's immune from prosecution, uh, they give Trump all he needs if he wins this election to commit massive crimes, never be responsible, and to end democracy. If you think he doesn't have the power to end democracy, the court he and Mitch McConnell packed may be, in the worst case scenario, about to create the condition where he can do whatever he wants and he is a king. They're about to repeal the entire Constitution, its purpose and intent. We got to take a quick break. This is Battleground Wisconsin Podcast. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, there, There is an assist, an unintentional assist in all of this by Merrick Garland. He was appointed attorney general so that Biden and the politicos told him he'll seem so nonpartisan that it'll help us. Notice he's called a partisan regardless. And Trump tells their base it's a Biden prosecution, even though there's a complete separation. And then Garland, with clear evidence of insurrection, didn't act for a couple of years. And the only fathomable reason it's not legal would be political. And so we hired this nonpartisan lawyer to make political judgments. And guess what? The only reason the Supreme Court can do this is because this started too late. And so you got to add in authoritarianism, and that this is true in all the stories of authoritarianism occurring in a lot of countries, it has to do with the side that was democratic not being willing to do what need to be done to block it. In other words, being institutionalists, in quote, that actually act in a way that destroyed the institutions they thought they were bound to protect and they were following the norms of to protect. But at this point, the lack of willingness of the attorney general who is supposed to be independent just to prosecute based on the law, because there's no godly reason not to do that, is outrage, and it is itself political. Political in right. a bad way, political in like I refuse to do what I need to do. And you know, if the liberal justices don't agree on the fourteenth amendment, they're doing the same thing. Because yes, the fourteenth was inconvenient and confusing in Article Three. This is what it says. And this is what its intent is. It's very cut and dry. Are we for the constitution? Think we have to follow it, or is it pick and choose? In which case, what the hell do we have lifetime appointments for judges? Let's just do it through the legislature and the president.
1: Right. Ah, so we've covered DC for a second. We've covered Georgia for a second. Let's go across the lake to our brothers and sisters in Michigan and talk a little bit about what's going on with the Republican Party there, a little infighting going on there. And then now we also have the the primaries and the uh, uncommitted vote to discuss.
0: I take it in the order you asked it brian The yeah. drama on the republican side is not that donald trump can lose absent some lightning bolt we can't imagine like he suddenly has a has a health shock that makes him seem like he won't survive uh unlikely it would seem and not something we should hope for even on someone like donald trump in my opinion mm-hmm. we just want to feed him he can go live a long and full life as long as he can't damage people anymore that's my view of it um his life is still valuable he may not think any of ours are but but we have to have we have to apply our morality to him right. uh, the question is is the number of people who are voting for Haley some indication of division on the Republican side that makes him less electable in uh, in the general election and that depends on how many of those people you think won't just fall in line because they'll just vote against Biden and they would vote for another Republican. And it does show absurd. All the polling shows that 70 plus percent of Americans want two different candidates. So you put them in primaries and each, can- and each, and each side picks the, the incumbent they supposedly all don't want. So why do the media keep reporting that junk data? Because you'd think that someone else would be nominated in each party if that were the case. Um, but apparently it's not. So what are we doing other than simply undermining people's faith in democracy with this junk polling data you, you overpaid for because they every poll asked the stupid question at a huge expense? So does it is a good pollster employment uh, program, though? I'll say that. Yeah, it's, and there is. There's good work in polling folks, young people, uh, because we over poll everything for things we already know including well, our candidates spend a lot of the small contributions you give in to over poll and answer questions. We already know the answer to. Uh, so
1: not only on the Haley situation and, but I was also wondering about your thoughts on the uh, the chair of the GOP, the Christina situation there over there in, in Michigan.
0: They're divided and fighting because there's still a little battle between the MAGA wing and the non MAGA wing, though the MAGA wing is winning whenever Donald Trump points out tells tells the base to go and support something Mm -hmm. Uh, but trump is taking all the money and he's funneling a lot of it to his legal defense and that's why he's taking over the rnc is to get all the money and contributions are way down because apparently even his base doesn't just want to fund his legal defense from what we can tell at least for now there's a huge funding gap between biden and trump so, what's that going to do? It's going to damage all the down ballot candidates. So I think that can save a lot of the down ballot candidates, other than gerrymandering. Like in Congress, there are just so few competitive seats. It's a smaller playing field and a lot of legislatures. Um, but the other thing that can save them is such a Trump landslide that lifts them, even though they have underfunded campaigns. But he's currently trying to get ahead of hold of all their money, but they still follow him as he try, as he jeopardizes their political careers. Uh, so that that's the thing. Will he destroy them and not get power before he gets power and destroys the whole country? That could that's we're doing a streaming series. This would be a great <laughs> suspenseful thing that would make you keep uh binge watching.
1: Yeah, to tune in next Friday to see the new episode.
0: The democratic side though, Brian, you mentioned yeah. on vote yeah. is more interesting. So very fascinating strategy on uh, uh, on the part of Muslim and Arab Americans in uh, Michigan and a lot of young people. I mean, it's not only Muslims and Arab Americans and a lot of progressives to stand up to President Biden's Gaza policy and particularly his refusal to cross a right wing government that is violating basic human rights, international law, and doing a disproportionate response. We found out this week now 30,000 Palestinians, majority women and children have died to avenge, because this is like just retribution, the gruesome killing of 1,400 Israelis by, by Hamas, which I will say is an atrocity, but it doesn't justify another atrocity. And I can say someone as uh part of the extended jewish community by by biologically half jewish and my father's family has a lot of jewish cultural traits mm-hmm. uh, but i'm not was not brought up a practicing jew that, though that's actually uh that is some people include that as the uh in the definition of the jewish community there are different looser and tighter definitions so i'd be in the broader definition you could say jewish adjacent if not if not jewish in in in, in mm-hmm. practice And so I think Netanyahu's use of the Holocaust to justify this is an absolute abomination and shameful, shameful disgrace of the memories of all the people killed, not only in the Holocaust, but anti-Semitism generally, which is ongoing. And uh, a lot of my biological relatives in Ukraine, where there was a 98% death rate in the Holocaust, were murdered. And it doesn't help them to, ju- to, some, you, to, in their name, justify this. And so what I liked about this strategy, Brian, is they created a way to try to give a warning sign to Biden. So it's not vote against him in the election and elect Trump necessarily. It is, we're going to show you we have enough voters um, to actually affect whether this critical state Michigan goes democratic and why you need to change your foreign policy course, which I'll get to what Biden's actually doing there. It's more nuanced than just he refuses, but he still needs to move farther one way or another. And this was highly effective. Uh, is interesting, an African-American uh, leader I was talking to yesterday was saying that when black folks don't vote, they don't get as much credit. Uh, I'll say that one reason for that, rightly or wrongly, is because there's not an organized movement uh, on our side of, of, of African-American and progressive leaders saying, OK, we're not going to vote for Tony Evers in the primary until he does more for for African-American community. Right. And if they did, then we could show the relationship right now. It's just individuals deciding they don't see a state, but it's not part of a conscious movement. Uh, that's the difference. And I, I do I think that could be organized. Yes. Do I think this is a good model for that? Absolutely. And so the warning shot was it's over hundred thousand. When on average uncommitted, which is a ballot line, not every state has. Michigan mm-hmm. has it is generally twenty percent in these primaries. So much at least five times higher. I've heard estimates because the vote's still being counted. It may be as much a hundred and forty thousand, which is enough to swick Michigan even in a year that the democrats win let alone closer which it could be so message sent now right uh you probably want well. me to talk to about the, what will this do to biden's policy given the message has been sent so effectively by by the voters of michigan he split the coalition with this and he's an institutionalist but he's moved in a lot of ways mm-hmm. he's moved more dramatically on things like climate and racial equity and what was in Build Back Better that mansion and I wouldn't pass, that was things like paid family medical leave, child tax credit that reduced poverty over 40 percent, he's moved. But in some ways, particularly foreign policy, he stayed more traditional. And it's been, unfortunately, American policy to stick with Israel no matter what since Israel was created. And that was the whole Western position. In many ways, it, it's a vestige of imperialism. Palestinian uh, rights were considered less important. And so, um, but he has stayed in that lane. He do, He's clearly appalled and his p- folks are by the slaughter. He's been trying to talk Netanyahu out of it while also giving them aid, right? He has been trying to get compromise at the UN while using America's power to veto a demand for a com- immediate and, and permanent ceasefire. Yeah. So, and, he's getting taken advantage of by Netanyahu, would rather have Trump as president anyway. He's a, he's a, Trump, a, a Trump of Israel with the criminality right. to boot and the right-wing and, and anti-human ideology. So murderous ideology. And so he needs to make a move. Netanyahu is, is saying he will never accept the two-state solution. Uh, Biden is saying America insists on one, but as long as you keep supporting Netanyahu, protecting him, giving them military aid without conditioning it uh you're going to be in trouble and you're going and you're not going to get back not only uh the Arab and Muslim American vote a whole lot of young people and a whole lot of progressives and it does jeopardize the election and your the traditional foreign policy is wrong and your traditional way of solving it by finding a bilateral way with israel isn't working and isn't going to work with this, gov- with, with uh, it's it's a lack of organizing one one power analysis of who Likud is, who Netanyahu is. Netanyahu needs the war to continue so he won't be prosecuted. The only reason yeah. he's there is he created the conditions for the slaughter of his own citizens. Now he's benefiting by being able to use the war fervor to stay in power when he should be, when he would be probably removed from power and potentially put in jail otherwise for, for corruption, okay? It's very yeah. much like Trump, But Trump's already in power again. And so what he needs to do, Biden, because maybe he'll get this temporary ceasefire. Hamas has not pulled the trigger yet on it. And so maybe they'll give him a little bit of pause in this, but that's only temporary. Mm -hmm. Uh, He needs to become unilateral with Israel. So what can he do? First of all, he already has the power to condition the aid, not only the aid that hasn't been approved yet, but the previous aid. They have to follow international law. Congress has given him the authority already. He just has chosen not to use it because he's also worried about losing the votes of of Jews who support Likud's policy. It's not all Jews, okay? Mm -hmm. And other people like right-wing evangelicals and Christian nationalists, he's not worried about them. Trump is. That's why Trump will be worse. But that's not good enough just to be better than Trump, okay? And also human rights of Palestinians. The slaughter has to stop. I mean, let's not talk about politics, just morality. The other thing he can do is, and he does, to his credit, have uh, Anthony Blinken and the State Department investigating, how do we recognize Palestine without working with Israel? That would be a huge move. But I think there's no other, we should have done it probably a long time ago, but at this point, there's no alternative and there's no workable partner. Israel is the barrier. And so that's where we are. There's also work going on trying to make sure the plo has legitimate non-corrupt leadership i think some of the preconditions are being set quietly by the biden state department but they're not happening fast enough they're not successful enough and the result is we are still giving sanction to what is a what is a a murderous overreaction and disproportionate response and as congressman pocan says and many others a uh, number of the members of the squad, Corey Bush and Rashida Talib and and Representative Ilhan, is this is population punishment. It's not focused. It's not focused on, on, on individual Hamas fighters. And we have this little nicety in international law, Brian, where we say that they're not a state, so they're terrorists. But this isn't terrorism by Israel because it's a state. No, they're actually morally quite a lot more similar than people want to imagine. And by the way, morally destroying babies and children with bombs from the air or with just fire where you don't see them is is not much morally different than doing it at close hand like Hamas. It has to do with your technology, not your morality.
1: Yeah, and that technology comes from the United States a lot of times. Exactly.
0: Our bombs are committing... It may not be genocide. That's why the UN uh, Commission, uh, the the International Network said there's evidence it could be genocide, because people don't know this. The international law of genocide is very, very high, and it requires intent to commit genocide, which is way too high. But it is genocidal, that is to say, in a broader definition of genocide, which is how most people use it. Almost no one knows, including elected officials, what the official international definition of the word is. So next, so PolitiFact, go ahead and PolitiFact me. Yes, it may not qualify or it may under international law. We don't know, but uh, I will use the common parlance. It is genocidal if it is not officially the international definition of genocide, which no one is using pretty much when they describe, use the word genocide, which shows how ridiculous these fact-checking entities are.
1: Well, hey, Robert, we got to fast forward through this agenda because the day is getting away from us. But uh, let's talk about governor evers and what's going on in madison and uh with all the healthcare issues
0: and we should talk about state issues on battleground wisconsin so i apologize folks we had meaty stuff and we're not even going to talk about mitch mcconnell though see supreme court discussion for example and we're not going to talk about the whole question of in vitro fertilization and how the uh, republicans pivoted on it to say oh they're not for the alabama paraphrased uh, chief justice decision, but now they're not willing to block it either. That's in the U.S. Senate. So we can talk about that in future weeks. No, they're not going anywhere. McConnell's there for a while, so we have more time to discuss his legacy. But you brought up the uh, something we've been talking about in Battleground Wisconsin uh, week after week, the wave of, of closures of a hospital, major hospitals and clinics in the Chippewa Valley, where the hospital system's health system is just closing up shop and we've talked about what a small player they are a very small hospital chain compared to their competitors there mm-hmm. Mayo and marshfield moving in much right. bigger ones and so this is like walmart putting shopco out of business and then furthermore we've related it to the pr- allowing hospitals who are involved in building huge monopolies and predatory competition with each other and not serving health but looking for the most lucrative services which often is waiting for people to get sick and therefore it's more expensive rather than keeping them healthy um so we've talked about all of that that we need to re-regulate the the hospital system we used to regulate their rates we used to regulate their overbuilding uh hospital association convinced everyone in the 80s we didn't need that but the market i.e they would solve the problem They're not. They're doing the opposite. They're getting, they and insurance companies are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and pharma's developing its monopoly in their competition with each other to get the most revenue with the most profit. And so that is the fundamental cause, Brian. And we've also mentioned the concept of upstream and downstream, uh, and that's often used now, and it's a metaphor upstream is the actual fundamental causes of a problem so you prevent a problem they're all they're, they often take more time to do and are more systematic but they're more effective generally speaking mm-hmm. downstream is just trying to deal with the symptoms and we have a problem that our system often just deals with the symptoms and never deals with the causes and therefore it continues and uh dan heath in his book upstream which is half brilliant it's brilliant in describing the te- the conceptual problem of not thinking upstream. It mm-hmm. avoids all notion that there's power that has an interest in doing that, like big pharma or big insurance or big hospitals. It seems that he doesn't want to talk about that. And it's both. So he's great for understanding the concept, but there's a huge missing piece our organizers see right away. Like, okay, it's not just a misconception. There's someone benefiting from this, right? And so- mm-hmm. Governor Evers has come out with a response, and, and they've uh, and, and he's talked to a lot of folks. He is there's 15 million being sent that the Republicans sent in too inflexible way. Use this line I'm veto, good for him to make it more flexible. This is downstream. And I want to give an example with Dan Heath. He gives a great metaphor for this. He says: Imagine there are a couple of people and they see a kid in the river. They're along the river, they're hiking or something. And they jump in and save the kid. And then there's another kid, and there's another kid. And so they're in the water saving kid after kid. And after an hour of this, according to Heath, this is like a hypothetical, um, one of them starts swimming upstream. And the first one who's trying to save kids are in the water. Where are you going? How you can't abandon us? There are kids in the water. And he turns and says, I'm going to see who's throwing all the kids in the water upstream. That's the upstream solution, not just saving the kids who are in the water, figuring out why they're in the water and drowning and how I stop any of them from being more to be thrown in. Because I'll never keep up with all of them. They're coming at faster and faster pace. That is what's happening with hospitals unless we go upstream and the whole healthcare industry. Governor Evers came out with all downstream responses, emergency response from the DWD, from Mm -hmm. DHS, that is Workforce Development and Health Services, from the insurance commissioner, the $15 million that Republicans will send, just repurposing existing money, but making it more flexible. And he's talked to people. He knows how bad it is. It's a serious problem. This is all his press release. Nothing about what's causing it. Nothing about having an agenda even the next session for fixing it upstream just and not even enough downstream to make a serious difference in my opinion but trying to look like so that's the politics and he's not the only one he's uh, just our example here there are a lot of supposed democrats that do this that are leaders of the democratic party that's a good way of making sure he's not damaging he looks like he's leading Mm-hmm. It's a good way of not explaining to people what's going on and building support for what needs to get done or understanding who's behind it, which is these giant hospital monopolies and the way that their practices and how they've become revenue-hungry businesses in the guise of nonprofits who don't pay property taxes.
1: Well, so, we, could do, we could do a whole show on that.
0: We will, we will continue on this topic. Yeah. So kudos to Governor Evers for understanding it's a crisis, doing what he can with its current powers. But please and I'm, we're hoping to get from the legislature, we need to start talking about why this is happening and what actual hard choices we need to make and who's doing it, okay? Otherwise, we're just going to be sending some more Band-Aids the next time. And the next time as hospital capacity closes and people are, are, and clinics close and people are left in the lurch without life-saving health care.
1: <laughs> and you can't make those Band-Aids big enough. No. Eventually, okay. it just, it, you, can't, you can't cover it up.
0: Let's so some bandages to Gaza and, and me, call it done. Yeah, I mean seriously.
1: No, I, I I'm right there. With, and it's with not you. just
0: look. It's not that Tony Ebers is a bad person. He's working within a traditional paradigm, downstream paradigm, and his team is mostly concerned about whether how he's looking. Now well, they're not thinking about the problems fundamentally and what they can do with his power, and they're assuming that's all he can reasonably do, and this should be the limit. And that's the problem is the paradigm, not that Governor Evers is deliberately perpetuating the problem or isn't serious about making it better.
1: Well, and then if we want to flip a little bit and who he works with, um, do you want to take a minute and talk about what's going on with Mr. Voss?
0: Yeah. And I was going to say this is the difference between Evers and Voss. Evers uh, has good intentions, is from what I can tell a moral man, but refuses like Biden on Gaza to actually step up and evolve based on what actually needs to get done, given the, given the challenges we actually face. And I say that's the same thing on global warming. Uh, a, so institutionalism, uh, Biden's moved forward than he has, but both of them have places they need to move. But meanwhile, and we'll close on this, Brian, the, yeah. the, the, um, the, the, the bizarre clown show that was the Michael Gableman fake election investigation, their former Supreme Court justice, the caliber person they put on the Supreme Court, because they'll just do their bidding, um, keeps on giving because part of what happened is Donald Trump wanted to off Speaker Voss for not enabling and finally having to cut off the uh, crazy clown show, even though he started it and used mm-hmm. our money to fund it for two and a million dollars. And Trump came in late and and uh, supported a no a no name unknown candidate at the end to try to off Voss and came within three hundred votes. Well, turns out the Trump campaign committee and uh, MAGA folks like Janelle Branchon in the assembly and the Chippewa uh, the Chippewa County Democratic Party Republican Party, excuse me. Uh, illegally had a scheme to over to get around all the campaign finance contribution limits, individual contributions, to put money into Adam Steen's race that he almost lost. And surprise, surprise, the ethics committee that is a three-three majority, I mean three, three split that usually can't act on anything, right? Has recommended prosecution. So why did they do that? Because I guess their non-MAGA boss Republicans were appointed to the ethics committee. And I'm sure Donald Trump will take care of that if we real, if, he's, if he become gets in charge again. But at this point, that uh, uh, score one for the what's left of the non-MAGA Republicans, but also realize, Brian, that they will not cross the MAGA Republicans when it comes to their career versus doing the right thing. They are not reliable. They're not an ally. That's why Republicans across this country, elected officials, are being silent about Trump while they quietly tell other people it's terrible. This is all terrible. It would be terrible charged, charge. But then pretend to be with him because they're afraid of his voters and their careers are more important currently than any civic duty whatsoever.
1: Right. Well, maybe this smells a little bit like the Wisconsin version of GOP infighting, too. So So
0: I know we got to go, Brian. Yeah,
1: we got to go. But thanks for having me. Uh, Well, uh, I think uh, just on a personal note, uh, I think some of you know out there in the world, two or three of you know that I play music. So I'm going to end this Battleground Wisconsin with a song that my brother and I wrote a long time ago called Star of Desire.
0: Awesome. I love the Woolrich Brothers.
1: All right, we'll see you next week.